So happy Mother's Day, moms. Uh, hopefully this is cool, but one of the things that we do uh, every year uh, is we do a free oil change kind of on, on your behalf. We celebrate with you. We do a free oil change for single moms and their kids. We did that yesterday. Uh, lots of the guys were out, out there doing that. I know a couple of them make it look like there's a lot of standing around that happens. But that's just because it was t- you, know, you can't take action shots when you're actually like changing oil and stuff like that. But that was great uh, to be able to serve in that way. I know most moms aren't really looking for a lot of recognition. Uh, most of you really just want a chance to sleep in <laughs> at, at some point, and that's really what you would want uh, for Mother's Day. So maybe, maybe you'll be able to get a nap in or something like that today. Hopefully uh, that can happen. You know, one of the things that uh, one of the things that moms do for us is they leave they leave a legacy uh, for us, and and for many of us, a mom is why we're here this morning. Mother's Day is like the third, generally speaking, when you look at churches and, and statistics and stuff like that, is is the third highest attended Sunday behind Christmas and Easter. Like, man, that that's crazy. Why is that? Well, you know, we won't talk about Father's Day. That's that's completely different statistically. Well, why is that? Why why is it like that? That people come to church on mom? Well, it's because moms have kind of instilled that in their family, where they want their children to to be raised in an environment where they're protected, where they're accepted, where they they can be known and welcomed. They want them to come to know who Jesus Christ is because he's the only way you know, to live life in, in such a way that we're taken care of, that we can live life spiritually beyond regrets. Uh, moms want us to experience who God is because of what he does for us. And so if you're here this morning because of, mo- of a mom, make sure you reach out to them and say thank you, you know, if, you, if you're able to. Say how, how much you appreciate the spiritual legacy that they live, that they leave. Now, mo- moms are interesting because, like, you know, you get the mama bear thing that's going on too, where they, they want to protect their kids. They, they want them to have good experiences, but they want them to have them in, clo- you know, very careful uh, environments. There's, there's kind of a darker side to that whole wanting your kids to be taken care of and protected, where for some of us, from parenting in general, not just moms, we want to make sure our kids are kept away from any kind of fear or, or pain or rejection in their life. A lot of times, you know, if you've heard the helicopter parenting thing, if you heard that phrase before, like some of you, some of you raised your hand up way too fast. <laughs> like, don't look over at your mom after you raise your hand or anything like that. But you've heard that before. Where a lot of a lot of that is more uh, the parents kind of projecting their own uh, fear of pain and rejection onto their kids. They they don't want their own uh, parenting to be judged, you know, those kinds of things. But they want to keep their kids from, from bad experiences. They, don't, they want to, don't want them to be criticized. They don't want them to find out that they're wrong or, uh, you know, things are, things are going on. And you're probably not like that, but you maybe know somebody, maybe know somebody who is. If you want to ever test, like, whether or not a, a mom or a parent is like that, just the next time they say, aren't my kids the cutest ever, just say no. And just see how they react. I mean, just try that. You know, say, you can say, "Are my kids the cutest ever?" Does somebody say, "Oh, what are we talking about?" See, that's what that's what I'm saying. You go, "Oh, no, your kids aren't the cutest ever." It's demonstrably, you know, it proved that they're not. They're not on TV, right? They're not in the the. They're not baby Gerber or whatever whatever it is. I don't even know what that means, uh, but I just said it. And you you can show that and see how they react. You would die. Like they would. You would die right there. I've talked with people who've had moms call in to their office to complain about their child being fired. Like they're adult 
child, somehow something happened, they lost their job or something, they called in and they're complaining about it, right? Sometimes it gets a little crazy. And meanwhile, kids and adult bodies, and this is not just about one particular generation, it happens across generational lines, struggle with the emotional weight of discovering when they get out into the real world that they're not perfect, that not everything resolves around them, that sometimes they get rejected and there are consequences as a result of their choices. The flip side of that, too, is, is that they also don't ever get to experience the joy or the feeling of accomplishment when they make their choices well early on in life and develop it. Let me, let me explain this with ping pong. Anybody like ping pong in here? Um, I, sweet. Tournament? Anybody? Uh, we decided in the first service that what our lobby really needs is a ping pong table. Um, so we're, we're going to make that happen. Somebody, if you've got a ping pong table... You want to bring it in, we'll, we'll make that happen. Love playing ping pong. Grew up playing in my grandfather's basement. Uh, by the time I was in high school, I couldn't even stand up straight in his basement. Like just a small, dark basement that he had back there. And his, the ping pong table was a sheet of plywood made into a table with a net across it. So that's where I learned to play on. And my grandfather and my, my father and my uncle, we would go down there and we would play. And early on as a kid, if you ever played ping pong with a kid, it's not fun at all. Because they can't, they can't play. They can't hit the ball back and forth. And so they were really patient with me. They, they, uh, they taught me how to play till we could go back and forth and volley. And, and we started playing games. They never once let me win as a kid. Like, not one, like you know, we'd have fun and they would teach me. And it would be all fun and laughing and games and stuff like that. And say, oh, okay, you want to play a game now? And they would just destroy me. I mean, there was no mercy at all. In fact, the times that I came closest to beating my grandfather as a kid was when he was laughing so hard because he was making me run from one side of the table to the other. Like, he'd hit it to this corner and then hit it to that corner. And he'd just be dying laughing, you know, and, and miss, miss a shot that was back. And I know some of you are like, you hear the, the violin playing in the background. It's like, oh, that poor guy. You know, his, his grandfather and his dad never let him win at ping pong. And you hear that. Some of you are thinking, thinking along those lines. What a rough life I had because I lost at ping pong as a child, right? The flip side to this is how do you think it felt when I finally beat them? Because, because I did, by the way. At the age of 12. And they're good ping pong players. So I, I am talking trash right now, just for, for the record. So at the age of 12, I, 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 beat, I beat them. And, and that was a huge feeling of accomplishment. They had modeled healthy competition for me. They had also modeled this idea of, of achieving accomplishment through, the, accomplishment through the pain of rejection. That when we pursue the things that, that are good and worth pursuing in our life, despite being rejected in the midst of those things, that, that can actually be a good thing for our lives. And here's the, here's the thing. Here's how I think this describes for most of us what our pain of spiritual regret is in our life. For most of us, we either have our regret, our spiritual regret, because we have or we will at some point in the future not allowed ourselves to, to push past what should be rejected in our lives so that we can experience what God wants to share with us spiritually in this life. And here's what I mean by that. So often our spiritual regrets are a result of us pushing up against something and saying, wait, wait that's, not, that's not how God thinks. God thinks differently from me. And so sometimes God even calls this thing sin that I want to do or that I feel like is good for me, that I want to achieve in my life. But it's not, it doesn't work with who God is or what he wants for my life. And, and we're not willing to push through 
that pain to find out that if, if we cared more about what God wants for us and less about what we feel rejected personally in, that we would live a life that would never experience regret in any area of our life. Because all of our regrets, our relationship regrets, our purpose regrets, our health regrets, financial regrets, they're all spiritual. They're all about how we put into play and into practice in our life what God has called us to do and whether or not we reject him or reject ourselves. There are plenty of people who reject God out of hand just because they assume that he would reject them. Oh, there's, there's no way I could go to church or there's no way I could follow God because really God doesn't even want anything to do with me because of the past I've got. They've got this, this perspective of who God is because so many people have been on the outside and looking in to people who are followers of God and they see fear and pain of rejection that they've experienced in the past as a result of other people that they don't even want to push past that pain to experience what God truly wants for them. If you've ever wondered why our first rule at Velocity is no perfect people allowed, this is why. It's to acknowledge, not just to people who are on the outside as they see and hopefully come in. They understand maybe they do church a little bit differently, but as a reminder for us, is that we are all in that place of needing the grace of Jesus Christ in order to live life beyond regret and to start over in our life. In many cases, the greatest obstacle for folks who want to start over spiritually is the church's second greatest resource. The first is Jesus Christ, otherwise we're not here the second is us. And, and sometimes we're the obstacle. And, and sometimes it's because there's so many of us that are at such different stages of our faith journey. Some of us are still trying to decide if we buy in. We're not even really sure. Some of us are new and we're excited about our faith. Some are intermediates still trying to figure it out. Some are experienced and growing. Some are religious and compartmentalize that part of their life from everything else. Some are bored and disengaged, and you can find all those people within the church, and this often is what gets mistaken for being representative of what God looks like. It's like, well, God must have issues. He must be bipolar, schizophrenic, narcissist, because when you combine all those, those things together in the church, that's kind of what it looks like. It's like, well, why, why should I, I follow this? Because this looks wild. This looks crazy. This is, this is not what I want to pursue in our life. But here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If, if you're coming in with spiritual regrets in this life, things, things that you're thinking, man, here are the things that have kind of kept me from God that I'd love to be closer, but I'm not sure where to, where to look for that. Don't, don't let someone else be the obstacle for you. Don't let somebody's, somebody else's character and how they're living out their spirituality impact you more than God's character and his spirit. This is, this is one of the things that Jesus addresses in his teaching. One of the most referred to parables that Jesus teaches is in Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles and haven't already turned to there, go ahead and do that. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. It's called the prodigal son because the prodigal son gets most of the attention, but actually the more, more important character in the story is the father and his reaction, but it's actually a story about three different people or characters in the story. And here's who, here's who Jesus shares this with in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
So here, here's the criticism of Jesus when it comes to religious people of the day. That Jesus cannot be of godly character and focused on the right things because he doesn't reject the people who, in their view, have rejected God. And yet, the people who they think should be rejected are the very ones who desperately want to hear what Jesus has to say. They're the ones gathered around him. Let's just recognize as part of our, our deal with it when it comes to spiritual regret and some of the things that happen that keep us separated from God is that sometimes the posture of religious people are different from the posture of God. That there are two sides to regret when it comes to spirituality. One is we can look back on something that we squandered, we're kind of wasted, where we say, man, I'm, I'm, t- I'm a terrible person, there's no way that I could be reconciled back to God. But there's also a second one, there's a flip side of the coin, and it's for religious people, too, who look back and, and resent. When they look back and see, man, all these things that I've done for God, and yet my life isn't perfect yet. I thought, man, if I put these things into place, everything else would, would fall into order. I thought if I read my Bible as much as I think I should, or if I prayed, and so, everything would be so much better off in my life. The first says, I've ruined everything beyond repair. The second says, and this, this just isn't fair. You know, this, this life, the, the way that things have worked out, man, I, I don't... I don't know if this is going to work. And so out of hand, the result is rejecting, rejecting God. And yet both have the same problem. They're spending too much time looking at themselves. And instead of rejecting what's keeping them from God, they're rejecting the one who reaches out to him. So uh, in Luke chapter 15, verses uh, 11 and 12, Jesus begins his parable as he's sharing with two different categories of people and what God desires for them in the midst of their spiritual regret. Here's what he says. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So essentially the younger son says to the father, you know, um, what I'd really like, uh, if, if you can make this happen, could you pretend like you're dead? Because I'd really, I'd really rather you be dead at this point. Because then if you were dead, I could get all your money. I could get all the stuff that, that, that's coming to me, the inheritance that I'm supposed to get. So could you kind of pretend like you're dead and split that up and give me my stuff? And so the father, instead of, instead of, uh, instead of saying this, no, absolutely, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I don't want you to experience the, the pain of, of your choices and your consequences in this and kind of protecting him from that. He says, oh, okay. He divides his property between the two. Um, from the older brother and the younger brother. And so the young son goes off and he goes crazy. He does everything his mom told him not to do. He wastes all of his money. He wastes all of his stuff. He finds himself in a position where he has to indenture himself to a pig farmer. And here's what's going on. I mean, you can read uh, all the details of the parables as you go on. But here's what's happening is Jesus is sharing this with his audience. Here's Here's what they're doing. They're going through a mental checklist of all the reasons why this young son is absolutely worthless. All the reasons why he should be rejected by the father and the community. Because all the things, all the choices that he's making, the sin that he's committing, the ways that he's separating himself from his father and from his community, these are all the reasons why he should be utterly and completely rejected by the father. In the meantime, though, the son kind of wakes up. In verse 17, Jesus is continuing, and he says, when the, son, when the younger son comes to his senses, 
He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Here's, here's one of the things that the son comes, comes, comes to grips with and recognizes is that in the midst of his life, he, like, he had come up to, to this place where he said, everything that my father at this point has wanted for me, I'm going to reject. I'm going to put those aside, and I'm going to do everything that I have always wanted to do. Dad has never let me do these things with, with my stuff. I'm going to go out. I'm going to spend my money. I'm going to live the way that I want to. And what he comes to find is, is the thing that all of us discover and the reason for so many of our spiritual regret is the very things that we reject God for are the very things that reject us. The very things that we reject God for are the very things that reject us. Every time I eat a half gallon of ice cream, it, you're already laughing at me, it tastes great as I'm eating it. But man, yeah, can I get an Amen. It tastes great while I'm eating it, but man, come see me a couple hours later, right? Still haven't figured that one out. How, how can it taste so, how can it be so great? Yeah, I mean, it's terrible for you. You're like, that's stupid. Why would you do that kind of stuff? We do that all the time. We reject what God asks for us to do in our life because it's the best thing that possibly can be for us. And we pursue the things that constantly reject us and leave us feeling empty. And this, so this young son represents those of us that have experienced that in our life. And so he goes up and he goes back to his father. And he's going to go back and say, hey, just, just hire me. I mean, treat, you treat me better than, than I've ever treated myself. Just treat me as a servant. That's fine. So he gets up and he goes back to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This is when Jesus' audience starts to kind of perk up a little bit. Because this is not right. The, f- the first thing is, the son absolutely deserves to be rejected. By the father and by his community. There's no way that he should be welcome, welcome back then. He, he, should, he should be cut off. The second thing is this. And you might think as a, as a loving parent and how, much you, how, how you feel for your kids. Like, I mean, I would run after him and all that kind of stuff. In the culture of the day, this would have been the most undignified thing this father could have possibly done. As a well-to-do man in this area, you, you don't run. You don't hike up your robes and sprint anywhere. That's not something you do. You have other people that you hire and pay to go do that kind of stuff. You don't do those th- types of things. It's beneath you. And this is the description that Jesus is giving of how God views the tax collectors and the sinners. Is that God has an undignified, unreasonable love for us. Th- that he's looking for the opportunity to, to meet us on the road back to him. So when it comes to our spiritual regret, like God is, God is looking for that. He works in that and through those regrets to convict us of the ways in which he wants us to turn back to him so he can embrace us. The, the second thing, and this is kind of a, a neat little side note, it's very possible that Jesus' audience would have thought of something else. There was a um, ceremony that was used when someone was cut off from a community 
uh, in uh, there were some uh, rabbinical commentaries. They're called midrashes, is the name of the commentaries that describe this ceremony where uh, someone who is going to be cut off based on their living and how they uh, spent their money or how they uh, who they married and all those kinds of things, they could be cut off from the community. And what would happen is they would take this clay pot, they would fill it up with burnt corn and nuts, and as somebody was coming back home on the road to the community, the leaders would go out, they would take this clay pot, and they would smash it in front of this person. they say, you're cut off. You're out. You're completely and utterly rejected. As far as we're concerned, you're, you're dead to us. So, so not only is his father running out to meet him because he's excited to see him, it may be that he's, he's running out to stick his neck out in ways that nobody would ever think would be possible for a father in this situation to show how much he loves and he cares for this young son. This is the picture of God's character and his spirit when it comes to our spiritual regrets. Is that he simply wants to use those in our lives to turn us back to him. The father then throws a party to celebrate. He reinstates his young son. He doesn't accept the whole, I'll be a servant. And that would have been completely within his rights to do that, to say, okay, well, you can come back, and I'll take care of you, but I'm going to remind you. I'm going to let you be reminded of your choices and the consequences of your action and how you rejected me. No, he gets a ring. He gets a robe. He gets sandals on him. He goes and kills the fatted calf. He doesn't just accept him back into the household. He reinstates him into his full rights and privileges as a son to the father. That's the nature of God's character when it comes to us starting over in our spirituality. The story doesn't stop there. A lot of times we stop there in our telling of it, but there's a third character, and that's the older son. In Luke 15, verse 28, the older brother hears about the party and becomes angry He goes up to the house and refuses to go in. So his father went out and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The older brother looks with resentment at the treatment of the younger son as if he had learned, if he he himself had earned what he was going to get with his inheritance. All all he did was was be born. (laughs) He, He didn't do anything to earn what he had coming to him from his father. You know, he was in this, he was feeling resentful, and he was in this moment of complaining because, well, my life hasn't been perfect either. This, this hasn't all been uh, amazing, and, and things could have been better for me. And the father, his response was, man, don't, don't be distracted by all these other unimportant things in life. Be, live your life and be a part of what I'm doing. Remember, the Father is God in this, this situation. He's looking, looking to us, maybe as a Christ follower or someone who's religious, and saying, man, don't be, don't be on the sidelines and don't be an observer. Part of our spiritual regret comes from just not being engaged in what God has called us to do. Be a part of what I'm doing in this life. 
So the prodigal, I think, you know, we all have regrets of action or inaction or reaction when it comes to when it comes to our spiritual regret. And I think the prodigal son is perfect to describe the regret of action. Maybe the younger son best describes your spiritual journey. There are things that you think that you've done that forever should separate you from God, and, and yet that's not God's response. I mean, we all get caught up in those things. But, but here's, here's what God wants us to know and understand about what he wants to do with us in this life. I've read this quote before, but it bears repeating. It's from C.S. Lewis, and here's what he says. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And we far too often choose the very things that reject us because of our weak desires instead of choosing the one who will never reject us. The spiritual regrets that we face, the sin that has entangled us and leaves us feeling empty and separated from the Father, and that the yearning that we feel is the, is the pushing past and rejection of ourselves so that we can feel the accomplishment of repentance that is done through the work of the Holy Spirit as a helper and a teacher in our lives. The older son, maybe, maybe your spiritual journey looks more like the older son where it's been more of a regret of inaction in your life. And here, here's the thing I'll say. If you're, if you're religious, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, wherever you, wherever you put yourself on that spectrum, here, here's the thing that you're not going to regret at the end of your life. What you're not going to regret is, is knowing more facts about God at the end of your life. You're not going to have that regret. It's like, man, I, I, wish, I wish I knew how many times this word was used in the Bible, or I wish, wish I knew how many times this happened in church history, or I wish I knew these dates, or I wish I, I, wish I knew had more factual knowledge about God. Your regret, at, wherever it is and wherever it happens, whether it's the end of your life as you look back in your relationship with God, will always be not being engaged in the life that he calls us to. It's always going to be in the combination of the knowing and the doing and the living out of what God invites us into. Don't leave God's words untested in your life. It is, it's one thing to be exhausted because you and I are striving to follow after him and live out what he calls us to do in our life. But it's a whole other thing to say, ah, oh, we're kind of bored because we've dismissed the joy that's found in the simple truths of spending time in prayer or reading scripture or serving or sharing the gospel with others. Because, because the reality is we probably haven't really put those things into practice. Don't be the older brother and miss the passion with which God wants to enjoin us with others in. If the things of God have become stay in your life, it's not because you've given them the effort. It's because you haven't taken the time to experience the richness of his word and the joy of studying it and applying it in our lives because we're far too easily content with staying with what's easy and with what's comfortable. But the vastness of who God is and what, how he's meant to be enjoyed and experienced in this life can't even be contained by the time and, and space that we have in this life. It can't even be contained in, in a limited amount of, it, it can only be experienced in, in terms of eternity. I mean, like, part of it is, there's not even, it's not even possible for us in eternity with God to become bored at some point. 
There's no like a thousand year cap where it's like, well, we've kind of experienced just about everything we can when it comes to God. And the vastness of who he is and how he's to be glorified and enjoyed can only be experienced in the scope of eternity. So don't waste the opportunity that you and I have in this life to join in with God's work across the redemptive history of mankind. If you're looking for a starting over point in your regret of inaction when it comes to spirituality, be engaged in the work and the joy of the Father. The third thing is this regret of reaction, and I think God as the Father in this story helps to represent this. Not, not that God is the one who has the regret, although the Bible a couple times does say that God has regretted. But, but in each of those situations, it's not because of, of his actions, but it's always because of what we have to face and the consequences and the decisions he has to make as a result of our actions. And yet he puts himself in the gap and takes on our suffering and the, the spiritual consequences of regret on his own shoulders. He's the one who is running to us. God is not a dispassionate observer. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he, he is infinitely patient, not wanting anyone to perish. And this is the way that he postures himself when it comes to our lives and our spiritual regret. I'll, I'll never forget when I, read a note, when I read a note from a friend who described perfectly one of the most painful aspects of ministry And that's this, when you care more about someone else's life than they do. And and this is where God places himself. Starting over isn't just possible. It's what God wants for us, and he can't wait to embrace the sinner. He wants us to experience what he has for this life. And here's, here's what he does, and here's one of the ways that the Bible describes him. The Bible describes God as the potter. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8, um, Isaiah says, Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And you may feel like you have pieces of your life that have been broken, have been shattered, that have been rejected. And God is the one who says, I, I'm, I'm the one who created the, the, the pot to begin with, hand me the pieces back and I'll reform that clay. In Jeremiah chapter 18 and chapter 19, God uses this as an analogy, as a picture for who he is. In Jeremiah uh, verse 18, verses 1 through 4 say this, This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred from his hands marred in his hand, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. God is waiting and willing to reshape those broken pieces, regardless of who you've felt rejected by or what things that might need to be rejected in your life. God is ready and willing to make all those things new, and he simply wants us to take part in the spiritual life that he offers all of us. It's one of the reasons why we celebrate communion every week at Velocity is to be reminded that we are made new because of the salvation that Jesus enables through his death, burial, and resurrection. Is that we, we can move past and we can live beyond the shards of our life that sometimes call to us and remind us in our past, but God wants us to take, take us to a completely different and new future beyond that. See, every regret that we have, it's all spiritual. And God gives us the solution for that through his son. 
So maybe for you, maybe the next step is, is finally going all in with that and saying, okay, I'm, I'm ready to live my life beyond spiritual regret by finally accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior, may, uh, taking the next step of, of being baptized. Maybe, maybe for you it's, it's being a Christ follower and, and saying, I'm, I'm ready to, to kind of engage in the way God has called me to. This is, this is why we gather together and worship and live out our faith is so that we can live out the spiritual life that God calls us to. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time of worship. We ask that you guide us through your spirit and how we deal with our spiritual regret in this life and how we engage with you and how we see your character and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.